Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through. Keeping their delicate skin healthy and happy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick and goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable. When my oldest was little, she would get the worst diaper rash. It left me feeling so desperate to help her while also wanting something gentle on her skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor. When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, she let nothing get in her way. You can use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel confident that you are making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra-premium formula for moms that won't settle when it comes to their little ones. Soothe and restore with active ingredients being dimethicone and petrolatum. You can find more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com or find it on Amazon or walmart.com. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, and we are on episode 99-0. That's a lot of episodes, and we're pretty excited that we have this many episodes for you so far. And we have Jennifer from Canada today, hey. and she's, she is such a trooper tonight. She is recording with us. It's midnight in Canada, so she is well, sharing- one part of Canada- well, where she's at, yeah. right? <laughs> and she is a trooper because she's got awesome stories. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Teaser. This is going to be one of the hottest episodes, I think. I really, really do believe yeah. that. This is um, one of the topics in her story is length between C-section and VBAC. And this is, I was telling them before we started recording, Julie and Jennifer, that this is one of the most common questions we get in our inbox every single day, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, email. We always get questions about this. And we do have a blog about it, but we're excited because Jennifer is our first mom that is going to be sharing her story with a short length of birth stage i guess like interval yeah short yeah a short interval, interval. interval. It's our between shortest c-section one yet. v-back and so we're really excited to get into her story but we have a review today and julie is going to read that do you remember that one time when i announced an episode of somebody from canada and i was like hello a this a is yes julie, i do a? that was kind of dumb <laughs> but it was funny, right? Made you laugh. Made me, make laugh. me laugh. <laughs> sometimes my husband is notorious for laughing at his own jokes, and I wonder if sometimes that's rubbing off that's on me. That's what you're doing. Now I'm like giggling inside, and I was like, oh, man, I'm so funny. <laughs> <laughs> eh? Okay. This review is from Mary R. on Facebook, and she says, The VBAC link is an awesome resource for mamas who want to learn more about their birthing options. I don't remember how I found these ladies, but they are one of the reasons why I had a successful VBAC after two C-sections. As a birth doula, I recommend them to my clients who desire a VBAC. Thank you, ladies. And we love getting reviews from birth workers. Mm -hmm. We love it from midwives, from doulas. And we have some chiropractors that share us a lot. And it just makes our hearts so happy that um, fellow birth workers are receiving us well and sharing us with their clients and their community. So thank you so much, Mary R., for that. And if you haven't had a chance yet, 
head on over to Facebook or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Google, period, just the Google, and um, find us there and leave us a review. Tell us what you like the most and tell us what is helping you from what we're doing and because we read as many as we can and who knows maybe we're going to be reading yours next week you are tuned in to the VBAC link podcast with julie francom and megan heaton VBAC moms doulas and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a c-section together they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, so we are going to get right into this awesome story. Jennifer, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day slash evening almost morning <laughs> um with us to yeah, share I think your it's story tomorrow for you now yeah it's it's really yeah. the yeah the next day so um yeah jennifer i'm gonna turn the title over to you well thank you very much for having me i was very excited to uh to schedule this so i'll just jump right in i had midwives with my first pregnancy which was a honeymoon baby um Aww. and all went well <laughs> besides terrible sickness until about 16 weeks when I began to bleed. So we went to the hospital, and an ultrasound showed placental previa, which is where the placenta covers the opening Mm. of the birth canal. And so my care then became shared between midwives and an OB. The remainder of the pregnancy was spent being carefully monitored on and off of bed rest, hoping and praying to make it to our scheduled C-section date at 37 weeks. We made it and went to the hospital, relieved, and then as they took me into the OR, they looked at my husband and said, make sure her affairs are in order, because we could still lose them both on the table. Whoa! Um, (laughs) So this was sort of our introduction to both. That should have been a conversation, first of all, that that they would have needed to have before that, but... Yep, you would think. Wow. Um, But (laughs) we went through... And everything, thank God, went really well. Um, Both my daughter and I were healthy. Uh, The surgery went well. The recovery went really well. Um, And I was told at that time to wait 12 to 24 months to get pregnant again. After that, the routine blood work showed that I needed to be revaccinated for rubella, which then Mm -hmm. pushed the timeline up even more, and I was told not to get pregnant in the next three months because the vaccine can sometimes cause deformities in the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. So when my daughter was four months old, I discovered that I was four weeks pregnant. Um, And I knew right away that I wanted to try for a VBAC, and so we went with midwives again. I'm actually really surprised at how readily they agreed to let me have a VBAC. Um, After a very brief consult with an OB, I was approved. Wow. Um, This pregnancy was spent, again, being constantly monitored to check the baby's physiology and to make sure that the uterus wasn't weakening at the incision site. So my due date was set the day after my daughter's first birthday, but oh I went gosh. into labor two weeks early. So my water broke, and then contractions were one to two minutes apart. Very quick, very intense. So I arrived at the hospital before my midwife, and the nurses told me that I had to have an epidural to slow down labor or I might tear the incision. I didn't know that I could refuse, and I thought, since they were the medical professionals, they must know. Twelve hours later, I was told it was time to push, but I felt nothing. I felt so detached from the whole process. 
So I asked if they could turn the epidural down, and they suggested turning it right off since it would take about an hour for the effects to wear off, Mm -hmm. and the baby would be here before then. So that's what we did. But four hours later, I was still pushing. The on-call OB was paged (laughs) and discovered that the baby was sideways with a fist by the ear. So forceps were used, and I tore very badly in three different spots besides an episiotomy, and I had over 50 stitches. Oh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But my second daughter was born vaginally just 11 and a half months after my C-section. Wow. Um, And as I said before, I was very quickly and very readily approved for a VBAC at that time. That is so Um, cool. Now, tell everyone how long ago that was. Uh, so my oldest is, she's 14 and a half, and my mm-hmm. second is 13 and a half. Awesome. awesome. And, you know, I think yeah. like 10 years ago even, it was probably a little harder to fight for a VBAC right. than it is right now. I feel like people are kind of having this like awakening and realization even more and more. So I feel like yeah. don't let that like time frame um, right. sidetrack anyone because I think that generally speaking, VBAC was a lot less expected, especially in shorter intervals. So that truly was like a gem to find that kind of support. Oh, but you're in Canada too. so. Um, well, it is not unusual though for even here to expect a much longer interval. Yeah, or for sure. Suggest, like, you might as well just have a C-section. Yeah. Um, I think we just happen to have the right doctor at the right timing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the stars just align and, I, and I'm so glad that you have that support. That makes me happy. Yes, me too. (laughs) So when my second was four years old, I conceived again, and I knew I wanted a home birth. My my first VBAC was in the hospital because my husband was concerned, you know, rightfully so, if there were complications. Um, And this time I knew I wanted a home birth, so I retained midwives again. But this time, the practice was split over my decision for a home birth. Half of them thought that I should try for a VBAC in the hospital, and the other half thought that I shouldn't try at all. I thought it was very odd how hard it was when I had, it had been almost too easy so soon after a C-section before. So finally, with my primary midwife, I sat down and said, you know, let's lay the cards on the table. What are we going to do? And she said that whatever decision I made, she would support. So we prepared for a home birth. Amazing. And let me tell you, that was the easiest, most wonderful birth. I began having contractions around 1130 on a Sunday morning, and things quickly progressed. My son was born vaginally at home by 4.16 p.m. And the only small moment of shoulder dystocia, but they quickly instructed me to flip onto my hands and knees, and he was born. So I had no drugs, no nurses Mm -hmm. pushing me for decisions. I didn't have to bundle my January baby up and go out into the cold to go home. Mm. It was relaxed and absolutely amazing. And then when he turned a year, I became pregnant and planned another home birth. I had always wanted a water birth and hadn't had the chance. I did labor for a long time in the tub with my son, but we have a small bathroom, and the midwives couldn't get into the right position to catch the baby there. So I had to move to my room for that. So this time we rented the tub and everything. We set up the birthing pool in the room next to mine. Everything was ready, but I had contractions five to eight minutes apart for two weeks, and I was only at two centimeters dilated. Mm. So my midwife said she was no longer comfortable with the home birth, So I went to the hospital for an advised induction, which failed, and finally had a C-section to deliver my healthy daughter. But I think, looking back, what I didn't realize was that I I had options, especially Mm -hmm. with my first VBAC. Being in the position that she was in, 
if I hadn't had an epidural, there were so many things that I could have done to try and optimize her position. Mm -hmm. And it might have been a much easier delivery, but I'm still very grateful that I had that chance in the first place because it's one, honestly, that a lot of women don't get. Um, And it makes me really sad to think that so many women just figure, we'll just go with what they say, and if they say that a C-section's safer, then we'll just do that. I mean, I did consult with an OB to know what the risks were, but the risk was such a slight increase from a regular vaginal birth to a VBAC that I thought it was worth the risk to me to go and do that. So Mm -hmm. uh, we went ahead with that. But that actually, that part of my story is kind of what directed me towards becoming a doula myself because if I had known at the time that I had options and I had choices, I could have taken charge and had a different outcome. You know, I'm thankful that all of my children were born healthy and there weren't too many complications with the delivery itself. Right. But to just to know that you have options and to take, take charge of your own birth is such an important aspect for a lot of women that a lot of women miss out on, unfortunately, yep. because the medical professionals just, you know, well, we do this all the time, we know. And they probably do think, you know, that's what they've been taught. But, you know, that's what pushed me towards becoming a doula myself. So now I have... I support clients and I I direct them to do their own research and make sure you know exactly what you're in for Mm -hmm. and make sure that your birth team knows exactly what your wishes are as well. So, yeah, that was my youngest is now turning seven, actually, on the 19th. Oh, that's (laughs) really, that's really soon. That's awesome. And she was born the day after my birthday. (laughs) Oh, so you're the 18th. My mom and I have birthday like that. I was born the day before her. Or I mean, you know... Plus a few decades. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. My daughter and I are four days apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. November's birthday month for Megan's family. Yes, it is. Super fun. That's awesome. Yeah, my older two shared. They did a lot of joint birthday parties for the first few years because they were just, you know, 11 and a half months apart. So their well, birthdays were really close. Like March 5th and March 15th. Oh, uh, my so gosh. They're ten years <laughs> That's so fun. That's super fun. It is, yeah. Oh my goodness, you've had, you've had so many journeys, like I have, you know, like and so different. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So tell us, I want to talk a little bit more about the the last two because those are the two that are super sure. close, right? I was the but first two. First, that were first really two. Close. That's right. So talk to us a little bit more about that. So well. Actually, can I, I want to talk about your shot. It was the rubella? Yes. Yes. So you, they said to, I wanted to ask like if anything was different because they said not to get it and then you got pregnant or they said that not to get pregnant and then you got pregnant. So like, did they take any extra precautions because of that? Was that completely like, whatever, okay. Or like, I'm just curious because they specifically gave you a timeline for it, but then you got pregnant But I was wondering if they were, like, worried or what were the actions on their part? So, um, no, the only thing really that they did was extra ultrasounds, like I said, to check the physiology, make sure there weren't any deformities. But then they were doing a lot of that anyways to make sure that the incision site was still staying strong. Mm -hmm. Um, And outside of the uh, extra few ultrasounds, there weren't really, yeah, too many more precautions taken. So, and during delivery, they didn't say anything about any consequences or any like symptoms that could have happened 
They did not, but I think so um, because we were kind of right at the cutoff date. Yeah, yeah, yeah they probably just um, let they kind it of could have gone either way. So that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I was like, huh. I wonder if they like made a fuss about that. But that's they saw three did. months after, and then she found out she was pregnant four months. But technically, you're not pregnant the first two weeks because they count. Right. I guess that's the, true. And yeah. so, yeah, like being right at the cutoff, it was yeah, probably like a little bit of a risk, but not a lot of a risk, but maybe. Right. And so they wanted yeah. to make sure that everything was good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Super know. cool. Yeah. You had Irish twins and a V-back. Like, that that's is <laughs> so exciting. So many people are going to. Um, are just going to love knowing that that happens because, you know, we always tell people as long as it's six months between pregnancies from the time you have your C-section to the time you get pregnant again, your scar is as strong as it's ever going to be. So, right. it, um, and so technically after six months of pregnancy, there's no additional increased risk um, right. as far as uterine rupture goes. But within that first six months, there is an increased risk of uterine rupture. And this is where... Um, it really comes to personal the risk preference. versus risk versus mm-hmm. benefits. Yep, personal preference. And I'm going to tell you exactly how much that increase is in this 2. study. 2.2%. Well, Megan's going to tell you how much <laughs> that risk is. 2.2% is um, how how high your rupture rate is if you get pregnant within that six-month window. Now, for a lot of people, 2% is a lot is an acceptable risk still. Mm -hmm. But for other people, they're going to see that 2.2% chance, which is double or triple the risk of just regular uterine rupture after the six months. And they're going to say that that risk is too high and I want to explore other options for my birth. Either one of those choices is okay, but Mm -hmm. knowing what the odds are and knowing what the chances are and then letting what you know couple with what you feel in your heart is the right choice for you that's where the magic happens and where you can make a good decision and finding a supportive provider is going to be probably a big challenge um, for a lot of people if they get pregnant within that six month window. And sometimes even in the first year, some providers won't see you if, unless there's two years between births, you know, two years between the time you had your C-section to the time of your due date with your VBAC baby. And there's just so many varying opinions about Mm -hmm. that. And that's exactly it. So with my third and keep in mind, he was six years past my C-section. Mm-hmm. My midwife ended up leaving the practice over that disagreement and starting her own. Uh, that was after the fact that he was born, but I I don't know whether she was reprimanded within the practice oh. um, for allowing me to have a home birth with him. I don't know the details of that. But oh, my gosh. They had meeting so after meeting after meeting saying, you know, you shouldn't let her do this. Um, and because it was a collective and they all kind of participated in the, in the major decisions, there was quite the rift over whether I should be allowed to have a home birth or not. And so she ended up leaving the practice and starting her own after that. Well, good for um, her for I, standing I up like for women's in choices. Canada, it's very <laughs> difficult because it's so highly regulated by the government mm-hmm. that even midwives that say they are far more open to natural options and women-led pregnancies and deliveries, mm. their hands are tied on a lot of occasions yeah. just because mm-hmm. of the regulations that they have to go under to be able to practice here because it's covered by our provincial health insurance here. Yeah. So people don't pay out of pocket right. for their wives. It's covered by the, the, by the government and health insurance. And because of that, they have the right to come in and say, you can do this, you can't do this. So there are a lot fewer options, I feel, for some midwives here in Canada. 
um, just because of the regulation put on them by the government. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's just, it's tough because, you know, just it's not just Canada out there. There's so many places where providers are so restricted. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully, crossing my fingers and my toes and my arms and my legs and everything that can cross. And my eyes. Yes. <laughs> that hopefully one day that will just stop. It will just be done. It will stop. And women can choose. So, yeah, and women can choose. They, they can choose. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. Well, we're so glad that you had the amazing experiences that you did. And we really appreciate you, again, taking the time out and recording with us. And we are so excited. We know, like I said, women will be interested in hearing your story because it's that common question that we get all the time. And for all of you listeners out there, if you didn't know, we do have a blog about lengths of it's a pretty time. Good one. It is a really it's good our one. our second most popular blog. Yeah, and you know, and it's got a lot of awesome information and studies and everything in it, and it's titled Length Between Pregnancies, C-Section to VBAC. And it is. It's really awesome. So go check it out. It's the vbaclink.com slash blog. There are tons of blogs. You can scroll through and read all about it. We've got amazing ones like getting that big baby out of your vagina, five tips to help avoid a cesarean, VBAC after two C-sections, what you need to know, things you need to find out about your VBAC-friendly provider, induction methods, myth bustings, failure to progress. Oh my gosh, there's so many more things. So go check it out. We know you'll love it. And let us know what you think today on our Instagram posts. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.